Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I am sorry that I have been MIA the last couple of days, but everyone must take a little break every now and then. But I'm here to let you know that I'm right back at you, both barrels loaded and ready to anoint your mind with some truth and some facts about us. You know, everyone has people that they admire the most. Martin Luther King Jr. was in that group. Barack Obama is in that group. But for me, there were only two. And those two was Adam Clayton Powell Jr. and John Henry Clark. These two men formed my mind. And neither one is in our history books. But we're going to slip into darkness today. And I'm going to tell you about one of those men. I'm going to tell you about Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Adam Clayton Powell Jr. was a giant in the black community of Harlem not only as the pastor of the Abyssinian Baptist Church, but also as a community activist and the first African-American to represent New York in the United States House of Representatives. He was born in New Haven, Connecticut on November 29, 1908. He was the son of Adam Clayton Powell Sr., then a Baptist minister in New Haven, and his wife, Maddie Schaefer, He had an older sister, Blanche, and the family was of mixed racial origins, African, European, and Native American. Powell Sr. had graduated from Wayland Seminary, Yale University, and Virginia Seminary, and was chosen to pastor the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, eventually growing the church to more than 10,000 members. Adam, because of his father's success, grew up in a rather wealthy household. He attended Townsend Harris High School before studying at City College of New York and then Colgate University. His father sent him to Colgate, a Baptist school, to put Adam on the right path and get him away from the nightlife and nightclubs that he avidly frequented. He was a good-looking young man because of his fair skin and hazel eyes. He was often able to pass as being white, and this allowed him to avoid much of the racial strife that was directed toward his black classmates. Now, this caused a great deal of anger on their parts toward him because he withheld his racial background from his classmates even joining a white fraternity, very uncommon in those days. His father encouraged him to follow in his footsteps as a minister. Adam received his bachelor's degree from Colgate in 1930 and then received an M.A. in religious education from Columbia University a year later. Although he was originally planned to pursue a job in the field of medicine, he realized that the church would provide him with a ready-made career. 
Following his ordination, Adam assisted his father at the church, both preaching to the congregation and in growing the outreach to the community, primarily in charitable endeavors, and took over for his father as head pastor of the church in 1938. He married Isabel Washington, a star dancer at the Cotton Club in 1933, and adopted her son Preston. He was deeply committed to the church, its parishioners, and the community around him, and was now the pastor of the largest Protestant congregation in the United States. He became prominent in political activism fighting for employment opportunities and fair housing. He became the chairman of the Coordinating Committee for Employment, mounting pressure on local businesses to hire blacks on all levels of employment. You see, my friends, at one time, all the businesses and stores in Harlem were ran by whiteness, and black people could not get a job in them. So Adam led very noteworthy protests, including a shop only where you can work boycott on all the stores along 125th Street, shutting down most of them, thereby forcing them to hire black workers. During the World's Fair of 1939, his protesters picketed in front of the fair's headquarters at the Empire State Building, which resulted in a 250% increase in black hiring. Two years later, he led the bus boycott of the New York Transit Authority, leading to 200 additional jobs for black constituents. This, my friends, was decades before Montgomery. His activism on the part of the community led him to run for the New York City Council, and he was elected in 1941, the first black to serve on the council. Three years later, he ran for a seat in the United States House of Representatives. He ran on a campaign of fighting for the civil rights of blacks, including seeking a ban on obstacles for voting rights, such as poll taxes, fair employment opportunities, and a ban on lynching. Running as a Democrat, he was elected in 1944, representing the 22nd Congressional District, which included Harlem, and was the first black congressman for the state of New York. He did not try to ease his way in quietly, and instead directly addressed issues that affected his constituents with Jim Crow being the law of the land in the South and almost all of the Southern congressional men being segregationists, there had been no one willing to stand on the House floor and raise issues that affected blacks throughout the nation. Powell would be the man to do so. That's why I admire this man so much, my friends, because he was the Muhammad Ali of the political realm and he wore his blackness like a well-made suit, and he flaunted it at whiteness every chance he got. He didn't make many friends, especially among the Southern congressmen, but he stood up and addressed issues facing blacks. 
One particular incident occurred when he stood up on the House floor and chastised Congressman John Rankin of Mississippi. A tradition within the House was that freshman congressmen did not speak on the House floor during their first year. On this occasion, however, when Rankin used the word nigger on the House floor, Powell stood up and announced the time has arrived to impeach Rankin or at least expelled him from the party. To take on a congressman as powerful as Rankin demonstrated that Powell would be a force to be reckoned with, Powell would take particular delight in irritating Rankin. Rankin had called Powell's election to the House a disgrace, and when Rankin made it known that he did not want to sit anywhere near Powell, Adam would find any opportunity possible to sit close to the Mississippi congressman. On one occasion, he followed him from seat to seat until Rankin had moved five times. After divorcing Isabel, Powell married Hazel Scott, a jazz singer and pianist. The two had a son whom they named Adam Clayton Powell III. Powell served with only one other black congressman, William Dawson of Illinois, until 1955, and they were both subject to numerous informal barriers within congressional offices. Powell protested and refused to defer to the bans on the whites-only house restaurant, the congressional barbershop, and the house gymnasium and other facilities. He constantly battled segregationists on both policy and decorum and found allies within the black community and with organizations like the NAACP to push for equality for blacks throughout the United States. One of the methods he used to attain his goal was referred to as the Powell Amendments. On any proposed legislation that would call for federal expenditures, he would offer an amendment that required that federal funds be denied to any jurisdiction that maintained segregation. This grated on both liberal allies and conservative foes, but it gradually seeped into the mindsets of the politicians as they realized that power was not going to stop and was not going away. Some were not ready to give up their fight, however. During the 1955 meeting of the Education and Labor Committee, Powell was punched in the face by West Virginia Congressman Cleveland Bailey, a segregationist who was so insistent by Powell's persistence use of the Powell Amendment rider. His willingness to anger even his allies led him to buck the party ticket in 1956 and throw his support behind Republican President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Powell was dissatisfied with the Democratic Party platform on civil rights and made sure that he was not seen as a rubber stamp for the Democratic Party. He also sailed against mainstream opinions when he traveled to Indonesia for the 1955 Asian African Conference, which celebrated the recent move to independence from colonialism for countries that included Sierra Leone and Indonesia. The State Department had asked him not to attend. 
but he did so as an observer and ended up speaking of the need to end colonialism abroad and segregation at home, while also defending the United States against the communist talking points being used against his country. Powell returned home to a warm reception, honored as the man of the year by the veterans of foreign wars, and was invited to speak with President Eisenhower. He offered the opinion that the United States was wasting an opportunity to truly compete with the Soviet Union by trotting out ballet companies and symphonies to tour around the world. Instead, he thought the country should focus on presenting more current and popular American offerings such as jazz music, which was an American-created style of music appealing to and engaging in by members of various races. Powell suggested sending well-known jazz musicians to tour abroad, spreading the American art form to kiss the ear of the younger citizens of the world. The State Department agreed and set up such a goodwill tour, including well-known musicians such as Dizzy Gillespie. Gillespie headlined the tour, which many refer to as jazz diplomacy. The musicians were able to meet with high-ranking officials as well as the common man, and the tour was considered a great success. One man who attended a concert in Yugoslavia stated, What this country needs is fewer ambassadors and more jam sessions. After serving the House of Representatives for 15 years, Powell was finally granted a committee chairmanship in 1961 when he became the chairman of the House Education and Labor Committee. The committee's stated purpose is to ensure that Americans' needs are addressed so that students and workers may move forward in a changing school system and a competitive global economy. Under his leadership, the committee created federal programs addressing Medicaid, minimum wage, and equal pay for women, as well as education for the disabled support for libraries, and vocational training. Much of this legislation was incorporated into President John F. Kennedy's New Frontier Program, as well as President Lyndon Johnson's Great Society and the War on Poverty programs. And I gotta tell you, there would be no war on poverty if there wasn't for Adam Clayton Powell. Some of his greatest triumphs involved passing legislation to protect the rights of blacks, particularly those affected by Jim Crow laws in the South. He authored bills to criminalize lynching, dismantle public school segregation, and to abolish the Southern practice of charging a poll tax to black voters. This tax was applied to voters in many southern states, but a grandfather clause allowed those adult males whose father or grandfather had voted prior to emancipation to be exempt from the tax. As such, white male voters were allowed to vote, while many black voters who could not afford to pay the tax were prevented from engaging in the electoral process. The Civil Rights Act of 1965 including many of these provisions and called for enforcement of them. 
His growing power made him a target for his political enemies. And unfortunately, in many ways, Powell made himself an easier target through his spending of committee funds, his legal problems, his erratic behavior, his habit of constantly traveling, and often being absent from the House. Without a doubt, many of the Southern House members opposed him simply because of his race and looked for an opportunity to punish him. Unfortunately for Powell, although he had fought so hard against unfair treatment by House members, he had also given them plenty of ammunition to use against him. Once again, a black man that is finding his way to the top of the ladder is pulled down by whiteness simply because of his race. Powell was doing nothing more than what the others were doing. And he told them that to his face, that as long as they could do it, he could do it. But whiteness will always try to find a way to get to you. And in 1958, Powell was indicted by a federal grand jury for income tax evasion. The trial ended in a hung jury, but the federal government continued to investigate his finances. In 1960, Powell gave a television interview in which he accused a Harlem widow named Esther James of being a bag woman for corrupt police payoffs. James sued him and was awarded $211,000 in a jury award. Powell refused to pay the damages and instead would only return to his district in Harlem on Sundays when he could not be served by court officials. The award was eventually paid out years later after he was cited for criminal contempt, but the matter damaged him significantly. Powell traveled a great deal with stays in Florida, as well as a vacation home in the Bahamas. House opponents accused him of using house funds to pay for this travel, including once when he was accompanied by two young women at the expense of the federal government. The women were Tamara Wall, a staff attorney, and Secretary Corrine Huff, the first black Miss Ohio, with whom Powell was romantically involved. As such, the House Democratic Caucus stripped him of his committee leadership in January of 1967, and the full House refused to seat him until the Judiciary Committee completed an investigation of him. On March the 1st, 1967, by a vote of 307 to 116, the House voted to exclude him from its proceedings. Powell decided to sue to retain his seat. Although he won a special election to fill his vacant seat by a margin of seven to one, he refused to take it, preferring to challenge his removal in court. In the meantime, in November of 1968, his constituents in Harlem defiantly re-elected him with overwhelming support. The House had no choice but to seat him now but did so while at the same time denying him seniority and fining him $25,000. On June the 16th, 1969, the United States Supreme Court decided 7-1 to 1 
in Powell versus McCormick that the House had violated his constitutional rights in refusing to seat him as he was a duly elected member of Congress. Unfortunately, after his Supreme Court victory, he seemed to rub it in the faces of his foes, showing up at only nine roll calls out of 177, a record for absenteeism. He was the most powerful black politician of his time. Regarding his travel expenditures, Powell defended himself, saying, I will always do just what every other congressman and committee chairman has done and is doing and will do. His constituents had grown weary of their representative, always seeming to have to put out fires, whether in the form of lawsuits, political fights, or embarrassing scandals. He was defeated in the Democratic primary in 1970 by Charles Rangel, by a mere 150 votes. He attempted to get on the November ballot as an independent through a signature campaign, but failed to do so and resigned from his position at the Abyssinian Baptist Church and returned to his home in the Bahamas. In April 1972, Powell's health began faltering and he was rushed from Bahamas to Miami, Florida, where he was hospitalized. He died on April 4, 1972, of inflammation of the prostate gland. His funeral was held at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, and his ashes were spread by his son, Adam III, over the waters of Bahamas. Over the years, numerous public schools have been named after him as an office building in Harlem on 7th Avenue and an area north of Central Park in New York City was renamed Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard. His real legacy, though, is as a competent political figure when many blacks were afraid to speak out against the racism and the poverty that they saw. He was a bright and engaging leader who would not back down from his opponents and led the fight to change things in a turbulent society. Most of all, he is seen as a man who opened the doors for a number of minorities who would follow in his footsteps as politicians in the United States Congress. That, my friends, is Adam Clayton Powell Jr., a man I will always richly admire. Rest in peace, my brother, and thank you for the things that you have done for our race. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor.